the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app and grab content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash Spot Track. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Week 13 Sunday. It lived up to the hype. Going to talk Bengals over Chiefs. Going to talk Garoppolo at the top here, of course, because the uh, the effects of that injury are going to impact quite a few organizations, and certainly the uh, the Garoppolo financial situation as a whole. So that's off the top here. Big time uh, breakdown into the Bengals, who they righted the ship, and today was further proof that they are legitimate AFC contenders. What that win against Kansas City means for the AFC, what the performances of some of those top players mean, as extension eligibility becomes a really good problem for the Cincinnati Bengals, except for they're not really used to having this kind of problem. So I'm going to break down all the numbers, all the possibilities, what it might take, the hierarchy and the timeline of Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase, three players I just cannot imagine a team would ever give up on. But the timing of all of this could get really, really tricky, especially when you talk about the guaranteed money we're going to talk about here. And then at the back end, Jacob DeGrom broke my heart, left the Mets, went to the Texas Rangers on a gigantic contract. I break down that deal. I break down why he took it, what it means for the Rangers, what it means for the Mets, and what it means for other pitching contracts still left on the table in Major League Baseball's free agency. Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to be the poster boy for 2023 NFL free agency. That has a pin in it currently. As he breaks his foot today, against the Miami Dolphins. Man, a freak early accident injury. It's just kind of the way this thing goes for Garoppolo. It's an unfortunate, awful situation. Look, it's, um, it's going to be costly. We had him at four years, $140 million, probably with the Jets or the Bucks, And that number was only going to grow because he's stabilizing a really good offense in a really good system. And <laughs> that kind of player as Jared Goff also showed today, very similar, I think, uh, subsets, is valuable. It's valuable. We, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Geno Smith again soon, and that is the absolute prime example of what happens when an athlete who puts in the work to just figure this game out, the, the nuts and bolts of this game, gets dropped into the perfect system. And that's exactly probably what, what's happening here with Garoppolo. He's in a system that is bigger, bolder, and better than he can ever be as an athlete. And if you drop him onto the Jets right now, does he look a hell of a lot like Mike White? Probably. He really does. So what happens now? And I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to pass any kind of judgment with whatever timeline this may be. You know, certainly that shoulder injury and it needed surgery took way longer for him to recover from than most of us anticipated to the point of where teams didn't even sniff around him about an acquisition for a trade. And then subsequently with any kind of starting quarterback contract, as we saw late in August. So what happens? Let's assume that this foot surgery is going to mean, you know, months of recovery. By the way, Trey Lance, still months of recovery. So it's not as though San Francisco has a phenomenal option to back into right now for mini camps. Let's put it that way. This probably thwarts 
his ability to go multi-year big time guarantee. I'm going to say probably because I just don't know. I don't know where this thing ends up. And we'll know about that probably by Tuesday after some sort of MRI on Monday. Let's just assume he's off the table for a massive contract. Everybody in the world, myself included, now has to think that going back to San Francisco on a cap-adjusted version of what he just did is the perfect fit. And by the way, you're already starting to hear the rumblings about a return anyway. You know, they're, <laughs> they're not idiots in San Francisco. They get it. It's not just hot stove talk that Garoppolo fits in this system. They know it. And they've been trying to avoid it for two and a half years. And you just can't look away right now. Sometimes the guy, you know, you know the grass is greener elsewhere, but you just have to understand that what you have is working and you'd be a fool to break it. So they're going to bring this guy back to health. And they're going to sign this guy probably to a two-year contract. That's going to be my early projection here. And then that first year, it's going to look a lot like this year. You know, if it's seven this year, is it seven and a half? Maybe eight if we're getting a $12 million cap jump. Is it an $8 million base contract with a ton of incentives if he can get himself back into the starting role and win ball games? Like it can look just like it looks now. You know, $7 million base and then 350000 every time he, he plays most of the game and wins the game for the, for the team. That, that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. But you got to build in year two as a good faith gesture. Similar to what we were proposing with Odell Beckham Jr. and some of these you know, massive injuries that teams are going to have to vie for, contractually speaking. You, you've got to do the right thing here with Jimmy Garoppolo, which is you can't just say, all right, you're back to QB2 because of the foot injury. We're going to pay you lucky QB2. You, you can make 2023 look and smell like a QB2 deal, but 2024 has got to be ready to boom. It's got to, it's got to look and feel. And maybe he doesn't want that, by the way. He may be okay with, give me one more chance to reset this thing show you I can get back to QB1 status, show you I'm still a fit for this offense. And, uh, and then in 2024 of March, we'll do this thing right. And either you or some other quarterback needy team will need a 32-year-old veteran quarterback with Super Bowl experience. That may be his choice. But if it comes down to San Francisco and nobody else because of this injury, they should be thinking more than one year. Not massive guarantees, of course but more than one year. And by the way, this was sort of how they acquired him in the first place. They acquired him and then dealt with a massive injury. And they still made him the highest paid player in the, at football at the time. So they've, they've gone through this before. And I think what they know is he's not going to be the top five quarterback in this league. He's not going to put this team on his shoulders at any point in time. You know, he'll have a throw here or there that make us say, my goodness, he can really do it. And then I'll have two or three right after that that make us remember, oh, yeah, <laughs> he, needs, he needs to dump off the McCaffrey more, than, more often than not. That's fine. And the money's going to follow that. There's going to be a breadcrumb trail of slightly above average with winning, winning, winning. And, you know, it's like a running back who, Jamal Williams, right? I can tell you Jamal Williams is worth $4 million a year right now because I just did a 75-person free agent piece on SpotTrek.com that can back it. And that number surprised me, and then I started to dive into the analysis of him. And wouldn't you know that Jamal Williams might break one here or there and win you your DraftKings DFS tournament. But for the most part, he's going one yard, three yard, two yard, three yard, touchdown. And then touchdown. And then touchdown. 
and that's all he does is score touchdowns. And there's a ton of value for that kind of player. If you're successful in the red zone, you're going you're gonna to get paid in this league. If, if you're a quarterback who wins, despite of how it gets done, you're going to get paid in this league. He's already been paid once, Jimmy Garoppolo. And now it's going to happen again. And let's just call out a, a delay. And like I said, whether it's a, he wants to personally reset this thing, drop back down to a, a feasible price, if the injury carries into 2023, of course. And then he wants to, the ability to get to the open market in 2024. He has that right, of course. You know, you, you build in the no franchise tag clause again. You build in the no trade clause. You give yourself as much control as possible. I think he's des- deserving of that with the, with the seven wins he ripped off here for this organization this year, not to mention everything else preceding this. But it just makes the most sense right now. And again, I'm not trying to uh, put the cart before the horse with, without the injury results, but broken foot plus surgery generally equals months. And if months equals March, March 15th, when this thing all starts, it's going to look a lot like last year where every other team said, I got to just back away from this. And oh, by the way, San Francisco, you should just be doing this anyway because he's your guy. So that's the deal. I wouldn't be surprised if this looked like one year, 8 million with a, uh, some sort of option for 2024 that looked a hell of a lot bigger than that. But I have to imagine that this news probably means no to the multi-year guarantee and yes to run it back just like this year. Cincinnati Bengals put together a statement victory against the Kansas City Chiefs today. A big one. Tons of implications with the AFC. Jumped the Bills back up to the number one seed with that game in hand over Kansas City. And factor in now a Lamar Jackson injury. Some sort of knee injury. Again, we're going to be waiting to see on a Monday MRI with that one. Super big implications with that, obviously, as Baltimore squeaks out of victory. Stays at number three right now. Stays in contention. I mean, legitimate contention. They are, they are one game ahead or a half a game ahead, a tie break ahead of Cincinnati in the division. But down the stretch here, A, the, uh, the Bengals and Ravens finish the, seed, the regular season against each other. So that game in hand could turn into a complete flip. And here's the Bengals schedule to finish it out. Browns, Bucks, Pats, Bills, Ravens. You got to think they can do three out of, two, three out of five there. So that's an 11-12-1 team on its face especially with Chase back in the fold. So the, uh, the implications of today were huge for a ton of, ton of teams, but, but ultimately for the Bengals, they now kind of control their own destiny. I think they can, you know, win the majority of their regular season games now to, to finish this out, capture the division, and get themselves right back in a situation where they can at least compete with the Chiefs and the Bills and maybe the, the, the uh, Ravens to get this thing to the AFC Championship game, back where they came from. The chickens are coming to roost. Let's put it that way. Um, they're still playing on a lot of house money, as you know. I don't need to say this out loud too much, but it's one of those days where you can exemplify this and just allow people to kind of into, into this financial world, that world that's coming for Cincinnati, which is not an organization that generally allows this to happen. I'm not going to sit here and say they're cheap. A lot of people on Twitter are going to say this immediately and respond to everything I put out about them. They're not cheap. They don't, they're not you know, they're not going to go out there and add four big free agents every year. No chance in hell. In fact, they don't even do that well in retaining their own because of the structures of their contracts. I've done an entire episode on this before surrounding Joe Burrow and the sponsorships and all the cash influx that they're going to need and the guaranteed money. That's the crux here. 
All right. That's the problem with the Bengals of old having to change into the Bengals of new, which is about to happen in months, two months, probably at the maximum. Joe Burrow and T. Higgins both become extension eligible basically the second the regular season's done. All right. It's going to wait. You know, they're going to allow some things to happen here because both are extremely cap flexible right now, or cap friendly, I should say. It's possible Burrow gets done this year. Higgins has to wait. And Higgins can probably deal with that, even though the last six weeks or so took him from, you know, a D to a B plus in terms of value, worth, certainly where this contract is going to be. And I'll get to the numbers here in a second. So let's just assume it's Burrow's offseason, because it should be. It's just how this sort of works. That means Higgins waits till 2024. Well, guess what? Jamar Chase becomes extension eligible in 2024. Are you going to pay Higgins before Chase? Are you going to tell Higgins, all right, it's your turn. You, we, you waited a year. Jamar Chase, you have to wait a year now. I guess that's tenable. And as long as there's communication with this, and obviously all these players want to stick around, which I can't imagine why this core would want to break up, outside of the fact that this organization generally isn't too great with the guarantees, this can get done. You can do Burrow next year. You can do Higgins in 24. You can do Chase in 25. Just because they're el- eligible doesn't mean you have to throw the money at them, Arizona. And I realize that if you don't communicate this properly, it can get ugly and holdouts can be threatened and public statements and right, you, you wipe, you clear their, their, the team's name from your socials. This is just, you know, the scrubs and all that. It's just a, it's an ugly world right now. But look, my point is this. It took me 35 seconds to figure out the, the hierarchy here. And I think it works. Now, you want to tell me Jamar Chase should get paid before T. Higgins and T. Higgins should have to finish out his contract to earn a contract that's relevant or in the same boat as Jamar Chase? I, I think I can get there because I understand. Even though Higgins was drafted first, he's kind of second. He's always going to be second filled to Chase outside of an injury. Always. But what just happened the last couple of weeks here, you know, month and a half or so, proved that if he's in a different team with a quarterback that's at least in the ballpark of Joe Burrow, he can be the number one. And he needs to be paid like the number one. So you can wait, but there's going to be a line. There's going to be a threshold where he says, that's it. It's now or get me the hell out of here. It's just, it's just human nature. It's just the, the animal that is this business right now. So I'm getting this out there now because not many teams have to go through this, this hierarchy, this core. The, the wide receiver position now went nuts this offseason, as we know. These two are next up. Justin Jefferson's going to be in this conversation. He's going to reset this thing a whole nother, a whole nother episode. You know, he may surpass the 30 million mark. Let's get to some of these numbers. Assuming it's Joe Burrow's offseason. And let's assume he's first because there's Lamar, there's Tua, there's Jalen Hurts, Herbert. It's a, it's a big list. It could be one hell of a financial offseason for the quarterback position. Let's assume Burrow goes first because he does have the Super Bowl under his belt. And just nobody else has that. Right now, he projects to Josh Allen's contract almost identically. 
And look, they're two very different players. But we treat his evaluation differently than we treated Josh Allen's. You know, we're not going to put Burrow up against Russell Wilson. We're just not. We're not going to put Burrow up against Mahomes. We're just not. You know, they're two very different players. And the stats tell us there's certain comps for this. Is Joe Burrow a $50 million quarterback? Yeah, the eye test tells you he can be. You know, the, uh, the ice in his veins, the clutch, the prime time success, the playoff success, all of that says, you know, that's like a bonus. That's a kicker. That's a rider that should be, that should be built into this, a multiplying factor. What I'm telling you right now is productivity-wise, Joe Burrow, Burrow is Josh Allen in his own way. So six for 260. Let's just assume that's the absolute baseline because it's not enough. We know it's not enough. And it's certainly not enough when you factor in the fact that four other quarterbacks are going to get paid this offseason, maybe three. So how high can this get? The reason I'm giving you the total value is along with that total value comes some sort of percentage of guarantee. And if we stick with Josh Allen, just because that's what the math tells us we should be doing, Allen's practical guarantees in Buffalo are 58% of his total value, $150 million almost on the dot. So that's the starting point for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, that, that doesn't have to all be at signing. You know, you can do something where it's $80 million at signing and one-year early guarantee mechanisms to get yourself up to that 150 mark. But again, this is the absolute baseline for Joe Burrow because there are now four quarterbacks ahead of him, ahead of that number on an annual average basis. And two of them, <laughs> right, Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray, I should say, can I say four out of the five? Josh Allen is now sixth at $43 million a year. It's Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes. Now, Mahomes signed this thing what feels like forever ago. And it's going to be that, you know, for another decade if he doesn't do anything about it. Deshaun Watson's a throwaway because that number is built into a bidding war and a huge trade. Let's throw it away. The Kyler Murray contract is one of those deals that every other GM in the league looked at and said, son of a bitch. <laughs> because not only is it $46.1 million per year, but the guarantees are bonkersville. Okay, It's 189.5 out of 230 practically guaranteed. And I've talked about this a lot, and I'm not going to stop talking about it because it's going to impact every other quarterback contract that hits here. That's 82% of the total value practically guaranteed. 82%. There's not a world where Cincinnati follows that. It's just not going to happen. So if Joe, Bur Joe Burrow wants that kind of contract, he's going to have to leave Cincinnati. I, I, I would put all three of my children on that statement, okay? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But this contract exists, and every agent knows it, and every agent's going to utilize it, at least to leverage their price point up. The Josh Allen deal makes a hell of a lot of sense for Joe Burrow. Why? Because it's a hell of a lot of money, and in six months, 
that contract was already an excellent value for the Bills. Both of those things can exist in sports, though. It's possible to not reset the market and still be super rich. <laughs> in fact, it's pretty damn easy right now in sports. And at some point in time, and I realize what I'm saying does not please anybody in this league. Nobody. Everybody wants the envelope to continue to be pushed. The agents, the league, even the teams to some degree. Because every, every dollar that's pushed in, especially in the NFL, gets quadrupled. You know, it's like drawing a queen every single first card in blackjack. Something good's going to come most of the time back. It's just how this works in this league. But when you're in this situation, and by the way, the Mahomes contract is extremely flexible. And they're going to have, you know, kind of maneuverability every year here. Even though it's an absurd number. My point is this. We all saw what the Aaron Rodgers contract has already done to the Packers. And we haven't even seen close to what it's going to do. That was the last episode, if you haven't listened to me. We haven't even come close to seeing what's going to happen when he's traded, when he retires, or maybe even worse, when he plays the whole damn thing out. There's that version of an NFL contract. And then there's the Josh Allen version. The one that's, even when signed, the third highest in the league. And the guarantees are great, but they're not damaging to a roster. And you can clearly see where the restructures are going to happen because there's a clear and defined plan with the GM. When I read that Josh Allen contract, all I think about is everybody's on board here. Everybody. And by the way, he didn't take a hometown discount. All he did is didn't go bonanzas with this. Okay? He didn't go absolute. And by the way, he could have after the season he had, the breakout season. There's a way to do this that communicates even just through the numbers. I'm on board for this. I'm going to be super rich. But so is my team. And all that takes is going 45 a year instead of 50, instead of 52. And you can say... There's a way to pay the play, a player top of the market like Peyton Manning did for all those years and still be successful. And I would push back and say, really look at those Peyton Manning teams. Really look at them. They could have been a hell of a lot better and his life could have been a hell of a lot easier. Joe Burrow gets sacked more than any other quarterback in the league on a, on a regular basis, right? A regularly playing quarterback. That's going to have to change. And by the way, that's Peyton Manning the first couple of years in. It's going to have to change if he wants a six-year contract extension to be worth a damn. And the way to make that change is to continually allow your team to build and grow and add depth so that you're not standing there with half a roster on your shoulders being asked to take this team to the playoffs every year like so many of these great quarterbacks were asked to do. It starts right here. Is it possible to take a $50 million contract and win the Super Bowl? We've never seen it. We've never seen in the history of the league the best, the highest paid quarterback in football winning. So until it happens, 
The answer is no. So don't do it, Joe Burrow. Your team is damn good. And you're in an organization that doesn't get damn good by default. It's going to take every little piece. So if I'm telling you right now that Josh Allen is your best financial comp, it's probably a pretty good model to follow. Quickly, Jamar Chase, who again, cannot be extended until next year, which is bad news because Justin Jefferson is going to reset the hell out of this thing. Four years, $97 million, $58 million guaranteed. That's the number right now as it stands without week 13 under his belt. Find out that Tuesday morning. T. Higgins, I told you, what he's done the past couple of weeks has, has made him, it's, he's jumped a tier. That's what's happened. Four years, $95 million, $55 million guaranteed. He's right there. They're not the same player. But he's being valued as if Jamar Chase isn't even there right now. That's what his numbers look like. That's what his two-year, basically his year and a half, represent. You throw him on the Packers, and he's Jamar Chase. At least has that kind of potential. That's what the valuation, that's what the calculation says out loud. If he had a full-time gig, with number one targets and a quarterback worthy of getting him those targets. It's an important piece here. He's neck and neck with Jamar Chase, financially speaking, which means he's ahead of A.J. Brown. He's right there with all the top, top young receivers in the game. There's going to be a dynamic problem here. You know, you're just not going to see two, two wide receivers. Regardless of how talented they are, you're not going to see two wide receivers get that kind of pay on the same team, basically at the same time. It's fascinating as hell. And by the way, I hope it happens because these three together are lightning. I hope it's possible, but it hasn't been possible before. At least not to these degrees, right? I mean, two years ago, these numbers would be 20 million less. That's where we've come. That's, where, that's what last year's explosion and some degree a couple of years ago as well, that's what's happened here. And it happened because Stefan Diggs traded, got traded and made the Bills contenders, right? And Devontae Adams got moved and got his big contract. And Tyreek Hill got moved and got his big contract. It happens when things start to shake up a little bit. When things stay traditional and there's sort of a pattern in place, you're not going to see gigantic steps taken. But the second there's movement and a little bit of chaos, there has to be a reaction to that chaos. There's going to be chaos here. And the only way to solve it is to have clear communication of how this is going to go. We know the numbers. We know the percentages. There's a percentage of the cap that, are, that, that we're willing to go to with you. There's a percentage of that total value that we're willing to go with you guaranteed. As long as you're on board with that, we're comfortable doing that in 2025, T. Higgins. We just got to get, take care of Burrow. Then we got to take care of Chase. Then we're going to get you. It's risky. And all of them are going to want their coin right now because of all the injury stuff. I opened here with a huge injury. But there's got to be a plan in place because it's a hell of a lot of money. I'm proposing basically $225 million guaranteed for Burrow, Higgins, and Chase. And that's on the light side. You know, Jamar Chase, if he's healthy by this time next year, 
is probably rivaling just whatever Justin Jefferson signs for. It's just the way it's just the way it works, you know. Burrow's a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins on his face. So, if Jamar Chase is even on the same level as Jefferson, and I think for for the most part he can be, there's going to be a neck and neck process there. Now, do you ask Jamar Chase to take less than market value? Tough. It's really tough. <laughs> okay. There are organizations that can make this happen. You know, to some degree, the Rams were able to do this. Cooper Cup did not go top of the market, even though his guarantees did. Is that the route you go? Do you just say, look, we're going to lock you in three years, rock solid, and you can have that fourth year as long as you're healthy in the third year? You know, there's creativity we can see. We're starting to see it in the NBA quite a bit. He's going to talk about that, you know, heading into the 2023 season for us. There's ways to get around this. And it may just be the exact opposite of what the Bengals have always been, which is we're going to give you a big contract, Andy Dalton, and it's going to look and smell like one of the biggest contracts in the league. But the guarantees, eh, the stability, eh, let's flip that on its head. Let's make it a not super big contract, right? but let's make it a really high impact guarantee. So a little less overall dollars out of our pockets, a lot more stability in your hand. That may be how you get this done. That may be how you resurrect a situation that has three essentially top of the market players at their position, all needing massive extensions within 18 months. And that's what the Bengals are right now. And they deserve it. Real quick, the 2023 Bengals, according to Spotrack's $218 million cap projection, have about $45 million of space to work with. So there is an off-season plan here. They do have some free agents, two of their huge secondary pieces in Jesse Bates and Von Bell, basically their entire se- uh, safety set. So there are some, some replacements, but that $45 million of cap space is based on 37 players under contract. So there's... 50, you know, 50 players still to go, 20, 25 or so in terms of the top 51. But there's room right now to get this borough contract done, is my point. We can make it work. And finally, I've been saving this for the last segment, as you might imagine, because Jacob DeGrom is now a Texas Ranger. I knew this was coming. I didn't necessarily have this as the team, although... How could you not have them as one of the contenders for any of these major free agents? Because that's just how they've been operating for 18 months. $600 million in off-season contracts last year. Now we can tack on $185 million over five years for Jacob DeGrom. It's the five years that gets him. I know it's, it's a tax-free state and yada, yada, you know, $37 million a year is more than Garrett Cole. There's factors. There's not a chance there was another team in baseball going five years for Jacob DeGrom with that injury history. And you may sit here and say, I'm going to bitch and complain about this. I'm not going to bitch and complain about the guy getting paid because he was a late bloomer. His arbitration was basically at age 30. He got a good extension from the Mets at the time. And he was worth 10 million more a year than what he was making. So this had to happen. It didn't have to be five years. And the reason I'm bringing the injuries back into this conversation is, and I had this conversation with Dan about Verlander versus DeGrom. 
The reason I'm going to choose Verlander, and by the way, the Mets may choose Verlander too. The reason I was opting for Verlander is it appears that his injury was, we know exactly what it is. We're going to medically fix it. You're going to slowly recover from it. You're going to go back on the mound and be Justin Verlander. That has never been the case for Jacob DeGrom. Never. And especially over the past year and a half, when he spent 200-some league days on the IR for a variety of injuries. And having monitored this literally day by day as a apologist Mets fan, it was one injury, and the recovery for that injury led to another injury, which then reverted back to that old injury, and they did let him sit. But they'd let him sit. And that was really it. So I can't tell you that there's a portion over the past 18 months where Jacob deGrom got fixed, which just leads me to believe that this is going to linger or come back or something new, or it's just in his cards at mid-30, that injuries are going to be a factor. The Rangers are obviously willing to take the risk on it. But I can just tell you right now, as, a, as, a, as someone who's watched and lived and kind of lived and died by him for a long, long time here, even when he was back on that mound. After the first injury, and then after the second injury. Yeah, there were, there were moments where he was no hitting through six innings. But he, he looks like a player that knows he can't pitch the same way anymore because it's just going to lead to an injury. And that's terrifying. And that's why I picked Furland. Because at, at some point last year, and I don't have the date in front of me, the Houston Astros looked at Verner and said, we're taking the belt off. Go get him. You're, you're Justin Verlander again. Go be Justin Verlander. And the Mets did that with DeGrom. And for about a week and a half, like three starts, he was perfection, almost literally, in a couple of instances. And then it, you could just see it in his body language. Something is either there that he feels, and or mentally he now knows that you, he just can't throw 75 pitches 100 miles an hour in a start anymore because it's damaging at his age. Something's there. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm not rooting for it. I am absolutely rooting for this guy to get three and four Cy Youngs here and tack it on, especially now that he's in the American League, right? Go get him. But that was my assessment of the, the Verlander situation versus the DeGrom situation, even though Jake is six years his younger. The contract is pretty straightforward. You know, and there were reports that the Mets were basically going three for 120 or uh, yeah, 120-ish, around $40 million a year. So they were coming in right under the Scherzer number. They just wouldn't go past the three years from the reports that I read. I guess as many other teams were in that boat. They were probably willing to match or maybe even supersede the Mets offer. And then the Rangers basically just said, screw it. What is it going to take? Well, how about five years plus a six-year conditional option? Let's talk about it. It's $30 million next year, 40-40 from there, back down to 38, back down to 37. And the conditional option, which is, which is rather interesting, as you might imagine, it's based on injury. Um. A lot of it has to do with how many innings he pitches 
over the next five years. If he gets the 625 innings, it's a $30 million club options. If it's 600, if it's 725 innings, it's a 37. It maxes out at 37. Okay. If none of those things happen, right? If he's injured for a bunch or he never becomes a top five Cy Young again, which is also one of the conditions, it's a $20 million club option. So, you know, it's in favor of the Rangers here. If things are going well, you could pay the guy $37 million again at age 40, which is Verlander-esque, and we'll continue to go on from there. And if not, you cut bait, no buyout, we get out of here. But there's a lot of what-ifs. There's a full no-trade clause. You know, DeGrom's going to get as much control as possible here. He's also going to get paid, and I'm happy for him because it's not, I'm not even being, you know, this is the salary for Jacob DeGrom over the past five seasons. 18 and a half, 20, nine in the prorated COVID year, 12, 7.4. And that was the last year of arbitration, four years ago. Now he's 34, and it's time to be a 30 million plus player. So the 37 million per year certainly doesn't scare me away. Obviously, it's the five years that had every other team running for the cup for cover, the Mets included. Quickly, what are the Mets going to do now? I mentioned Verlander. I think it's a real thing. I think there's probably an offer on the table. I think the possibility of Max Scherzer plus Justin Verlander is going to bring in tons of cartoon jokes with, you know, guys and walkers on the mound. But if you had, if you asked me, would I rather have a couple of B free agents or Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer? I'm going to roll with the old guys here. So I, I, my guess is that's plan A. And if Verlander chooses the Dodgers, which he very might well do, based on reports, then plan B is to go much longer term and try to snag yourself Carlos Rodon. And that's going to take you about $30 million at that five-year mark. So to me, those are the two options. And if they swing and miss on both of those, then you're going down into the, into the second tier of, of free agents. Right? Can you bring back Chris Bassett? Can you bring back Taiwan Walker? Is the Michael Walker situation something you're taking a, taking a stab at? Jamison Tyon is certainly on the list here. Nathan Evaldi's on the list here. They're going big. They're going for the big fish. And uh, that's the right move. That's how you replace a player like Jacob deGrom, at least on its face. Outside of that, this is a hell of a move for the Rangers. Okay. All right, there's some youth on that organization. There are some massive contracts. I put a tweet out that Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Jacob DeGrom, and Martin Perez, that's 49% of your tax payroll next year. Just those four players. But it's two bats and two arms. So I get it. There's, a, there's at least a pattern. There's a rhyme and a reason to what they're doing. They've added two middle infielders on massive contracts, huge overpays. They've added a starting pitcher on a massive overpay that could become decent value if he's healthy. I just can't imagine that to ever be the case. They had a, you know, their number one pitcher from last year signed the qualifying offer. So you're going to get burned a little bit there, but not long term. And then there's some kids, right? There's the lighter kid. There's Kumar Rocker. There's, there's some potential for let's let this thing settle in a little bit. And then maybe in three years, we're the next version of the Houston Astros. It's possible. It's possible. 
but they've got some walls to climb in that division. And their answer right now has been to throw a hell of a lot of money at it and see what sticks. At least now there's a semblance of a roster, a core, both on the mound and at the plate. We'll see how much it translates to winning. I'm absolutely thrilled to get this thing to the finish line and get Cousin Dan's thoughts on what the Rangers are going to look like next year. Because now we're talking close to a billion dollars in back-to-back free agency. Because they're not done. They've got tax base. They've got holes in the roster still. They're not done. So what does it look like when, when it's all said and done and there's still two teams better than them in that division and they've now added, like I said, close to a billion dollars over the past two off seasons? We will drive that plane when we get there. Couple of quick basketball notes on the site. As I mentioned last episode, Keith Smith does have the early trade piece on spotrack.com right now. It's got about, ooh, I'd say 15 players. Contract statuses, salaries, uh, current salaries that would be traded. And uh, the reason we're jumping on that train right now, December 15th is a big day in the league. That's 11 days from right now at the time I'm recording this. A lot of players who had trade restrictions get lifted at December 15th. And that includes some of those Lakers options, Patrick Beverly, things like that. You're going to see some movement start to percolate at that point in time. And teams that at least think they can be buyers will start to sell some pieces in order to ramp up cap space, things like that, assets for the actual February trade deadline. So it's kind of a precursor to what's coming. But Keith's got some great names, you know. There's some teams that have overachieved and won't be doing so this time in, you know, in two months. Those are going to be the teams that identify themselves as time to get rid of some players. You know, your Orlandos, your OKCs, your San Antonios, probably your Atlanta Hawks. So there will be early movement, and that's part of Keith's piece. And we'll have him on to talk about it very, very soon, possibly in two days if nothing goes crazy in the other couple of sports. The other thing. Basketball-wise, Keith has done Jeremy Grant's next contract piece, which is really fascinating. Um, When he was acquired from Detroit, it was just kind of a given that he was going to get extended and be part of that core there. And then we didn't really know where Portland was going. We didn't know if Dame was going to stay healthy. He started off well. The whole team started off well. They're just not a deep team. And I think a big part of Keith's piece, which is evident, is, is this a piece you want long-term or is this an asset? Is he playing himself into what could be a two-for-one type trade that allows Portland to gain some depth here? He may be too good to move on from. He may be the extension candidate that Keith has him at. But check out this piece on, piece on spotrack.com because uh, Portland's not really bad enough to be super sellers, and they're not good enough to be buying a last piece to be in contention. They're in that middle ground where teams kind of get stuck if they make the wrong move. So. Fascinating to know where that contract's going to end up. And he, he tweeted out today that there are 2023 caps projections coming. And that's always a fun time for us because it means he is looking way down the rabbit hole. And that means more team analysis coming from Keith. That's always a good part of our uh, in-season work with Keith on the NBA. Check out the Rams future guarantee look. Check out Jacob Dragama's piece on spotrek.com as well. We'll be diving into what's next for a lot of those teams as the Major League Baseball winter meetings are happening right now, which generally means trades are coming, rumors are coming, signings are coming. It should start to ramp up for sure. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trade Podcast. 